So thank you again for being here today. I think we all know each other. Looks, looks, looks like familiar faces all the way around. So trusting God when it hurts. This is session three of our winter quarter. Wow, time flies when you're having fun. Can't believe we're, uh, can't believe we're at the end or towards the end of January. By the way, do you all know what today is? Or, I'm sorry, do you all know what this weekend is or has been is? No? No clue? Oh, if I, had, if I had a gift card to give you, this is the best weekend of the year for NFL football. Just saying, just saying, if you don't like football, that's okay. Um, but I do, and so this is the best weekend of the year for NFL football, and um, that's enough of that. We are going to do a hard turn, hard left turn. We're going to attempt to talk about trusting God when it hurts. And uh, I have been using a book called Why Does It Have to Hurt by a guy named Dan McCartney, and he's been very helpful along the way. Um, we've, 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 really, we've really, in the winter and spring quarters, really the main question we're asking with regard to suffering is, how do we suffer well? Like, we, we've talked about why there is suffering in the past, and really our focus now is, is how do we suffer well? Um, and we've, we've said that really one of the fundamental things is as followers of Jesus, that we're united to him by faith. You know, we're yoked to him by faith. And, and so we should expect suffering on the one hand. He suffered, therefore we suffer. And we should also want to learn how to suffer the way he suffered and one of the main ways that he suffered was by praying the Psalms. And so when we suffer, we pray the Psalms. And previously, we looked at Psalms 27 and 22 uh, in our previous weeks. And this morning, we're going to look at uh, Psalm 73. Psalm 73. And before we do that, again, as always, I'm going to pray and ask the Lord to, um, to help us hear and, and respond. Our Father, thank you for bringing us together this morning. Thank you that we can open your word together. Thank you that your word really does reveal yourself, reveals ourselves, who we are. <clears throat> and Lord, you reveal, um, you reveal many things about our experience in this world. And, um, Lord, I pray as we open your word together again today that you would enable us to take these things to heart. Um, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Um, so I've said this. I'm going to keep saying it. Uh, today's kind of our last day to talk about the Psalms and suffering. And then next week, Lord willing, we'll, we'll, we'll make a little bit of a turn. <clears throat> but when Jesus suffered... He prayed the Psalms as expressions of faith, hope, and love, right, in the midst of his suffering. And, and so we suffer the way Jesus did by learning to pray the Psalms as expressions of our own growing faith, hope, and love. Philip Yancey, I've said this the last few weeks, said this about suffering. He said, 
There are three things that greatly increase suffering, fear, hopelessness, and loneliness, right? And, and we've said we fight fear, hopelessness, and loneliness through praying the Psalms. The Psalms teach us to pray, and in the process we find growing faith in the midst of fear, right? We're not saying it just eliminates all of that, but we find growing trust and faith in the midst of fear. We find, um, we find, you know, hope, even a, a, a glimmer of hope in the midst of what feel like hopeless circumstances. And today we're going to talk about how <clears throat> even in the midst of loneliness, love can, can meet us in that place and overcome um, our loneliness. And so that's, that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, love overcoming loneliness. Quick quiz for you. Uh, okay. This is going to be graded. No, I'm kidding. We won't grade it. Here's the first question. What can cause inflammation and changes in the immune system such that some people are far more likely to die prematurely? Trauma, that's a good guess. Stress. 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 Worry. Worry. Loneliness. Loneliness. That is the answer. That is the answer. Loneliness. Here's another question. What is more dangerous to your health than obesity? And the answer is loneliness. Yeah. You guys are a quick, quick bunch. Quick study. Yeah. And one more question. What is about as deadly as smoking? The answer is loneliness. See, look at you guys go. Very good. Yes. Now, um, I'm, I'm getting those from, uh, well, I do have a source, so I'm not just making this up. I'm trusting that what they're saying is accurate. So let's just put it that way. Um, the threat of loneliness is so serious. I mean, health-wise, the threat of loneliness is so serious that the country of England, you've all heard of this little <laughs> island country uh, we call England, they, they have actually created an entire campaign to end loneliness. Like it's this nationwide campaign to end loneliness because they're convinced that it's such a significant issue in, in our world, in, in, their, in their country. So loneliness is what we're going to talk about today. Um, here's another question. Somewhat related to this, we're going to talk about love and loneliness. What does it mean that God loves us? And I'll just help you. It, it means a lot of different things, okay? So, so don't worry, you're going to say the wrong thing. Okay. You're not alone. Right. See how you guys do catch on quick. Wow. Look at you. Yeah. I, I mean... The fact that God loves us means all kinds of different things. Um, but one thing that God's love means is that he does not leave us alone. And that's not simply to say that he's, you know, working to grow and change us. That's true. But 
But to your point, the way you answered is really what I was going for. What that means that God loves us is that he does not leave us lonely. Yeah. And that is forever. That, that's a really good, I, 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 I like that you're emphasizing and underscoring that. There's a, there's a passage, um, now I'm not going to remember it, I think it's in 1 Thessalonians, where it basically says that, you know, whether in life or in death, we will always be with the Lord, right? And, and yeah, so he never leaves us lonely. Now, here's the thing, we can definitely feel alone, right? And in fact, that's something of what we're going to see in our psalm today. We can definitely feel like we're alone, that God is not with us. Um, but the truth of the matter is, is that he, his love means he does not leave us alone or lonely. Um, <clears throat> Dan McCartney, <clears throat> excuse me, Dan McCartney, um, in his book, Why Does It Have to Hurt, shares, shares his own experience of, of suffering. And, and he says this, that, that sufferers yearn for companionship. And, and he shared about a time that he was in the hospital and extreme pain. And so he's in the hospital. He's, he's, he has extreme, experiencing extreme pain and a friend came and sat with him. And I, I love this because this friend bought a book or brought a book and just sat there and read the book. He didn't read out loud. He wasn't reading to Dan. He just sat there and read his book silently to himself. And, and Dan McCartney says that he was thankful for that because at the time, you know, he didn't want to talk to his friend and he didn't want his friend talking to him either. He was in excruciating pain. He said, no, this friend just came and sat with him and read his book silently. Kind of the ministry of presence, if you will. And I thought, man, that's a, that's a ministry I'd like to sign up for. I love to read. I can just show up, sit there and read my book. I could do that. I could do that. But it does speak to how crucial, you know, this ministry of presence. Um, and I feel like I'm learning that, you know, as I grow and get older that, you know, oftentimes, I, I guess even in ministry in life, just showing up is like 98% of the thing, right? Russ. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that, that's it. Yeah. So you're, you're confirming, affirming what, uh, what our friend Dan is sharing that. Yeah. And, and he said, he just, he greatly appreciated that. Um, and then, and then, and then McCartney goes on to say this, he says, but sometimes we find ourselves in places where no one comes and sits with us. And it's then that we need to remember 
that God is there with us, identifying with us in our suffering. And so we're going to look at Psalm 73 today. If you're familiar with Psalm 73, you might, you might think that's an unlikely psalm from which to extract this, <clears throat> this idea of love overcoming uh, loneliness. But we learn from Psalm 73 that God loves us in a way that doesn't leave us lonely. Um, and really what we'll see in this psalm is that it's precisely God's loving presence that ultimately awakens the psalmist's love for God and reminds the psalmist that he's not alone. Okay, So that's, that's what's going to happen. Um, what else do I need to say? Yeah. It's, it's this dynamic of experiencing God's loving presence and responding to his loving presence that, that can overcome the awful state of loneliness. You know, is it good when people come and minister presence to us? Absolutely. That's, we need that. That's a good thing. But there are times when that just doesn't happen or can't happen. And so we want to remember that God never leaves us alone. Okay. That's our focus today. So Psalm 73, if you're familiar, it's a fairly famous psalm. How many are familiar with the content of the psalm? Okay, a few of you. Um, it's, a, it's a pretty famous psalm, and, and really the issue is the problem. Um, the problem, the psalmist, it feels like to the psalmist that, that the wicked prosper. You know, he's, he's, he's looking around, and the wicked seem to be prospering, doing well, and he is experiencing suffering. And he's like, what is going on? What's going on, God? This doesn't seem right. Okay, so that's kind of the, the overarching context. The prosperity of the wicked and the misery of the righteous threaten to undermine the psalmist's faith in God. Okay, and we'll, we'll get to that in a second. Now, um, but love is what eventually puts things in perspective. The love of God is what eventually puts things in perspective. And I underscore the word eventually. We tend to read the Psalms and think, okay, it's a 30 second, you know, this is hard. I don't understand this to boom. Okay, everything's good. No, probably an Asaph. Asaph is the, the psalmist, the, the author of the psalm. Uh, in his life, we don't know how long that took. It probably took a while. It wasn't a 30-second thing, okay? So, let me ask you another question. Have you ever thought, and you don't have to raise your hand or even verbalize it, have you ever thought it seems like those who don't follow Jesus suffer less than those who do? Sometimes, yeah. If you have had that thought, you're in good company with Psalm 73, right? That's, that's where Asaph is at. And if you've been with us, some of you have been here since September, since we started, we've, we have looked at some reasons that the Bible gives to why that's sometimes true. Do you remember any of those reasons? I'm putting you on the spot. If you haven't been here, relax. It's okay. And even if you have, 
relax. It's okay. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, what would be some reasons why Christians suffer? We talked about this a little bit. Yeah, Neil. One thing, the enemy of our souls is attacking us in a spiritual battle. Yes. To yeah. Our walk with Christ. Yeah, yeah. We examine the book of Job, right? Okay. So, so one reason why Christians suffer is because Satan hates God's people and he wants to afflict and inflict harm on God's people. That's, that's, that's one reason why Christians do suffer. Yeah. I mean, if, uh, yeah, I'll say, that's enough. Yeah. Yeah. So there is a suffering with that. Yeah, yeah. That that yes. Yeah, there's that internal there's that 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 pain. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, Jenny. We're more aware, I think, of the the groaning of create all creation. Yeah. For that we know goodness. So to see it broken, everything broken. Yeah. Is we're more aware of it. Yeah, very good. Yeah, yeah, there is this Romans eight, there's this groaning, you know. Because of the brokenness, you know, out there and the brokenness in here, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very good. Yeah. Alicia. So we also suffer because um, God is growing us up. He is, he is um, refining us. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Yeah, yeah. God's discipline. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's doing that. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What I hear you saying, and then we'll do we'll do one more, James. Um, what I hear you saying is, yeah, as Christians, there's this, there is this internal war, right? There's this war. There, there, the spirit indwells us, and yet there's still remaining sin, and there's this internal tug of war, you know, that's that's constantly going on. We we want to follow Jesus, and yet. Sometimes there's that internal struggle, and that is a form of suffering. Yeah, James, go ahead. Well, his testimony to suffer as Jesus said. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's another reason. Yeah, absolutely. So that's good. You guys covered, I think, all of these. So I came up with four. God disciplines those he loves. We talked about that. You mentioned that. Uh, Since the world hated Jesus, the world will hate the followers of Jesus. Right? John 15, 18. Satan hates Jesus' people and looks to afflict and inflict harm. We looked at the book of Job on that. You mentioned that. And then Christians experience an internal battle with remaining sin. So, um, and so that's not to say, or let me put it this way, we still do affirm, like, Think about the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs speaks to that God has created his world with a moral order, right? Proverbs speaks to that. So in other words, Proverbs would say that generally speaking, when you follow God's wisdom, there's blessing, 
when you don't follow God's wisdom, there's pain, right? And so we're not denying that. We're saying that is generally true. However, books like Ecclesiastes, the book of Job, you know, and really, if you read the whole scripture, you know that it's not that simple, right? So there, yes, there's a general moral order, but it's more complicated, right? So that's, that's what we're saying, yeah. So, so I bring all that up to say, sometimes it may feel like, you know, the wicked prosper and walking with Jesus is really hard. And we're saying, yeah, there's truth to that. There's truth to that, but there's also truth that, at least in the end, God's moral framework uh, will will hold true, right? Yeah, Louise. I was just going to say that Jesus experienced everything we ever experienced in our lives. And uh, I was thinking of this older gentleman that came when my husband was killed. And he just sat by the bed, took Marnie's hand, said nothing. He just held me. Yeah. And I thought, you know, Jesus does that sometimes. He comes near, we know he's here, and when he said, I'll never leave you, that's a walk of faith. Yeah. I love that picture of holding holding your dear husband's hand. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. So, um, so Psalm 73, the psalmist struggles. I mean, he knows... On the one hand, he's like, to, to obey and follow God's wisdom should result in blessing. And, and so, but it's more complicated than that. And really, that's the thing with Psalm 73. The psalmist struggles with confusion and, um, and envy. Because he's like, what is going on here? The wicked are prospering, and, and I feel like I'm... Suffering That shouldn't be. So that brings us to Psalm 73. It's a psalm of Asaph. It's actually the first psalm in the third <coughs> section in the book of Psalms. Um, I'm not going to say much more about that than, than that. But Asaph, he was a Levite, right? So he was of the priestly line. And David commissioned Asaph uh, as a musician for the tabernacle. So David commissioned uh, Asaph to, to compose psalms for tabernacle worship. And um, what I appreciate about Asaph, and, and especially this psalm, is that, I mean, I think about Asaph as a worship pastor, right? I mean, he's a worship pastor. And even as a worship pastor, Asaph... Um, had to honestly wrestle his way toward trust in God. Asaph is very honest about his struggles. Here's a worship pastor um, leading uh, worship in the tabernacle, and he's struggling with this seeming prosperity of, of the wicked. And so he begins stating this conviction in verse 1. He says, truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. You know, we could say it this way. Truly, God is good to his people. 
to those who are pure in heart. And I think, would you all agree with that statement that God is good? Yes. That God is good to his people? Okay. Glad to hear that. Glad to hear that. Um, But here's the thing. You know this and I know this. When suffering comes, we know that God is good in our heads and we know that God is good to us in our heads. But when suffering comes, it can cause a disconnect, right? It's still suffering. It's still suffering. And it can, um, yeah, we, we can forget We could also say it that maybe we don't believe what we believe to the depth we think we believe it. I mean, we could say that a number of different ways. What that means is our walk of faith is a work in progress, right? Like like I always think of the guy, was it Mark 9? I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. I mean, that's all of us, right? We believe but we don't yet believe. And, and God is so kind and gracious to use situations like this to grow us, to change us, to grow our faith. And so that's what we're seeing. Asaph is honestly wrestling toward trust in God. That's what's going on here, okay? So he confesses this, this great and wonderful truth But then he admits that he struggled to believe what he believed about God's goodness when he observed these circumstances that were going on around him. He says, but as for me, my feet almost had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. Do you get the metaphor there? This walk of faith, this walk of trust in God's goodness. Like I was losing grip on that. Well, why? He says, for or because I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Right? He's going, what is going on here, God? You're supposed to be good. And yet I'm looking and I'm seeing the wicked prosper. And I'm looking around at maybe my own life or the lives of others of your people. And they're suffering. What is going on? Yeah. That's because our focus needs to be re-looked at. And, and that's a great picture or, or statement of what's happening in this psalm. So hang on to that because that's what we're going to see. Right? So what happens next? Well, Asaph is saying, man, I almost lost it because... Because the wicked were prospering, right? And so, so here's a question for you, and, and you don't have to answer this out loud, but can you remember a time in your own life when God's word said one thing and your experience said another? Again, maybe, maybe you're just... Maybe you're just thinking that, but that's what's happening here. He's saying, I I got the doctrine right. You know, I got the test. I got the doctrine correct on the test, but 
And I believe that to some degree, but my experience is saying something radically different. How do I, how do I deal with that? And so then he goes on and he basically, he's basically going to talk to God about his experience. You know, there's what God's word said and, and what his experience says. And so he goes on to tell God exactly what he thinks. He says, for they have the wicked, for they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. Now, unlike our day, we would think, you know, hard body, you know, that's the ideal. Back then, you know, this, this being fat, having lots to eat, that's prosperous. That's, that's blessing, right? They're not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. They've got plenty to eat. Their hearts overflow with follies. They're involved in all kinds of, you know, pleasures that they shouldn't be involved in. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they, they threaten oppression. They're haughty and high. They look down on other people. They think they're in charge. They think they're really something and others are nothing. They're proud. They set their mouths against the heavens. They even mock God. And their tongues strut through the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the most high? You get the picture? They're like, I'm never going to have to deal with God. I can say, I can do whatever I want. Who are you to tell me? I'm the captain of my own ship. You can't tell me what to do. Behold, these are the wicked Always at ease, they increase in riches. Their prosperity, their life is easy for them, and they just get richer and richer and richer. You hear Asaph? He's saying, what? what's up? Yeah, yeah Ross. I'm just thinking that, and then I think, until it's not. You know, this is all the way it is. Until it's not. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and Asaph, we're, we're getting there. Yeah, but he's, at this point, he's honestly complaining to God that what God's word says and his experience just don't match up. And he continues on. Um, in verse 13, you know, so he's experiencing that and he's basically saying, it feels like my attempt, like he's not saying he's perfect, but my attempt to walk with God has been a monumental waste of time. All in vain have I kept my heart clean. Like, what's the point? Why should I keep even doing this? All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been restored. I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. Like I'm trying to do what's right and 
and all I get is suffering. All I get is rebuke and I can't remember, how do you say it? Every good deed, no good deed will go unpunished. You've heard that, that phrase, people saying that. They're trying to do what's right and it feels like no good deed that they try to do will go unpunished. That's Asaph, right? And then he says, let's see. Yeah. Then he, he basically says he was really, really tempted to go public with all this. You know, we have that word deconstruction. You've heard the word deconstruction. People deconstructing the faith. You know, they publicly renounce Christianity. And it seems like Asaph um, was really close to going public. He thinks the better of it and realizes that if he were to announce, you know, his doubts publicly, um, that would actually harm, right? He's a worship pastor. Like that's going to have an effect on other people. And that's what he says. If I had said, I will speak thus, I will say these things publicly, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But man, I was really, really close. I was really, really close. One commentator, well, let me, let me get to that in a second. Then comes the turning point. Really, verse 17 is the hinge upon which this whole psalm turns. And Louise, you, you pointed out, there, there's this point of new found clarity. And so um, he says this. And we could, we, could, we could say it's a but then section. So all of this, my, my experience, but then. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed a wearisome task. Like, how am I going to figure all this out? It just doesn't make any sense. It says, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. Remember I said Asaph is a Levite? And so he had the right and the duty to go into the tabernacle, right? He's a Levite. And it was in the sanctuary of God that he comes to his senses, so to speak. One commentator says it like this. There in the, in the tabernacle, in the, in the sanctuary of God, in the presence, the manifest presence of God, we could say, there his eyes are open to the factor he had been overlooking. He had been so obsessed with the present, so blinded by what was happening that he could not see what was going to happen. It was the final destiny of these men that must be put into the equation to make sense of it. Okay, And he says this. Then I discerned their end. Truly you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. Do you hear what he's saying? I discerned their end. Like truly those, you remember that biblical theme that pride comes before a fall? That's what Asaph is saying. He's saying, man, 
you're allowing these people to be in a very high, haughty place. But the end is going to come, and there's going to be a great fall. A great fall. What was it about entering the tabernacle that made the difference? It seems like Asaph realized that the wicked, probably, that the wicked could not follow him into the presence of God. He's in the tabernacle. He probably realized the wicked can't come in here. They can't be with God. They can't follow him into the presence of God. So whatever glory the wicked have now would not last. They would eventually have to reckon with Almighty God. And that's what it looked like for Asaph to honestly wrestle toward trust in God. And then he reflects on how his unbelief, his envy, and his bitterness had disfigured his humanity because it disfigured his relationship with God. He reflected on how his his unbelief, his envy, his bitterness had disfigured him because it disfigured his relationship with God. He says in verse 21, when my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. Do you hear the disfigurement? I wasn't even like a human being. I was so disfigured by bitterness and envy. And that's what happens to us. We become disfigured because we were meant to be with God, to be in a a relationship of ongoing trust and faith. And as we depend on self, we're disfigured by it. So he says, I was like a beast towards you. That's some really graphic language. But even though he had been like a beast toward God, here's the good news. God had not forsaken him. God had not left him. And what this means for you and for me is that God's love is not dependent on us. Because look at what, what he said. So he said, when I was in this state, I was like a beast towards you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. There's that imagery. I love that imagery. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel and afterward you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you and there is nothing on earth I desire besides you. Some of this is also maybe symbolic of God's elect and the realization that he has that God holds him yeah. by the right hand even in his suffering. Yeah. I'm, it's an assurance. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Asaph is, is I mean, there is, there is truth that, you know, um, like Romans 2 talks about not, who all, not all who are circumcised are circumcised in heart. But yeah, Asaph is a covenant. He's part of God's covenant people. And 
And he's, he's not perfect, but he is attempting to, to trust God, to honestly wrestle with them. And that doesn't mean life always looks, I mean, I'm wrestling with that. And God's hanging on to him in the midst of his struggle. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so that means that God's love is not dependent on us. Even if we don't realize it or feel like it, God is always with you. He holds your hand like a parent. And once Asaph was able to, to see that again, it's not that he didn't still have questions, but his questions seemed less pressing, less important. And he goes on and he says, whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. That probably means, he's probably referring to death. So was it Leva that talked about how we'll always be with God? So I think, I think verse 26, he's saying, my flesh and my heart may fail. I'm gonna die. Like this thing is gonna die, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever, whether in life or in death. And then he says, for behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. Yeah. Dan McCartney says this. He says, ultimately, it was God's love for Asaph, which in turn evoked his love for God that prevailed. If God holds your hand, you cannot be alone. If God is your counselor, you are never without an advisor and comforter. In 1938, uh, Harvard University embarked on a decades-long study to find out what makes people happy. 1938, that was a long time ago. The researchers gathered um, health records from 724 participants from all over the world and asked detailed questions about their lives at two-year intervals. This study went on for a long time, I think 85 years. So what did they find out? What makes us happy in life? It's not career achievement. It's not money. It's not exercise, according to this study anyway. It's not a healthy diet. Through 85 years of study, the study concluded that what makes us happy is relationships. That's where value comes in life. And the Bible is the story of how we were made for relationship with the living God. He's relational. Father, Son, and Spirit, eternally existent. Right? Our God is from all eternity a relational God. And he made us for relationships. So is it any surprise that that would be the crucial aspect or element for our own lives? So the Bible is the story of how we were made for relationship with God and how we've turned away from the one who is life 
and we can't have life apart from him. But in Jesus Christ, God has come to offer us himself, to offer forgiveness and reconciliation so that we can have relationship with him. And Psalm 73 teaches us that if you have a deep and certain relationship with an infinite God, that is what is of infinite value. As Asaph says, if God is our portion, our inheritance, what more do we really need? The, the challenge is for each of us, the supreme good for our suffering and struggling souls is to be near God. That's really what we all need. And that's why Asaph can begin Psalm 73 by saying, truly God is good to his people. And we would say as new covenant believers, because in the person of Jesus, God has offered us himself. It's, you know, we all live in the real world and life is often very hard. And what we learn as Christians is the mercy that's offered to us in Jesus Christ isn't always the mercy that we want. We want answers to questions. We want solutions to our problems. And what we often get is this mercy that God offers us is himself. We don't always get answers to our problems or answers to our questions and solutions to our problems. What God offers us in the gospel is the mercy of himself, of his presence, of holding our hand, of giving us counsel, while maybe not answering all of our questions. And I think, I don't, I don't know for sure, but I think part of that is because what God wants most is us. He wants us to know him, to trust him, and depend on him. And so oftentimes he strips away our, the lies that we tell ourselves that we really can do this, that, that we're self-dependent. And he strips that away and more and more, you know, we're like, okay, I can't. I need you. I need your help. I need you. Not, I mean, I'd like answers to my questions and Solutions to my problems. I would like that, but I really need you. And I think that's ultimately what God is doing in our lives. That's where God is taking us in our suffering. Yeah. And I had, man, I had so many, I had so many good questions I was going to have us talk about. Go ahead, Jamie. Well, I just, 21 and 22, I was noticing after women to the tabernacle of God, that part about the Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Very good. Yes. Yes. That's very good. That's that's really helpful because because that's the thing we're we're gonna struggle. Like we've looked at three psalms, just three, but there's 150. And not all of them, but there's so many psalms of lament 
where there's this great struggle going on. And so we're going to struggle. But just like you said, what, what we see is that because God is at work, there's this ability to eventually, and that's my key word, eventually, I'm like, oh, I can, I, I can turn away from that. And I see, I see things as they really are. Yeah, yeah, that's really good, Jenny. Yeah, it's, Christian life is challenging. Um, but I think God wants us to know him. He wants to know us. And part of that is our honest wrestling with him. And through that, we, we grow to trust him. And that's where God's taking us. That's the other thing. We're growing and trusting in him right now. And he's taking us there. And one day, we will completely, when Jesus returns, we will completely trust him. That's where he's taking us. And it's, it's a process along the way. I wanted to ask this question, and I know we got to go, but maybe you can think about this. I had three questions I was going to have us talk about. Can you imagine Jesus praying Psalm 73? Sure. Yeah? Well, this sermon today, this is perfect. It fits perfectly in my mind. Anyway, um, you know, you have the, the, the people who are smug and proud mm-hmm. and think they know they're mocking Jesus and trying him for things, you know, yeah. imaginary offenses, and, um, and not realizing who he is. Yeah. Anybody could say, this is not fair. It was him. Yeah, very good. When I asked myself that question, I had to stop and say, hmm, I don't know if I've thought about Jesus struggling, because it we learn that he was tempted in every respect as we are, yet without sin. And so I had to stop and think, yeah, I mean, he probably was. And that's a great application. Maybe, maybe Psalm 73 was on his, in his heart and mind. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and we saw that in Psalm 22, but even Psalm 73 to say, man, it just seems like the wicked are prospering like at his trial that we heard about today. Yeah. So that, that, that was a new thought for me. I was like, yeah, Jesus must have prayed that song. And, and so here's the point. He had to walk in faith in his humanity. Like we do. He had to walk in faith that ultimately God would not be mocked. That justice would, would happen. Yeah. Or say, yes. Yeah, he's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I wish we could spend another half hour talking about this.